name's Richard Walsh, and I played uh, the character Bert Quigley, nicknamed Sitnote, for uh, 12 years, basically, from around about 1988 to 2000. Um, well, it's a long time ago now. I can't. I mean, this was originally for the pilot, which was uh, a, a, ostensibly a one-off film, which was made in 1986. Um, I mean, I was just asked by my agent to go to a reading of a new TV uh, pilot uh, written by Jack Rosenthal. So my ears pricked up because he's a very famous writer. And um, I read for, uh, there was a preliminary meeting with the director, Les Blair. And uh, I can't remember if the, the casting director was there, Corinne Rodriguez. And uh, we talked and I read a bit and that was it. Then I was called back to do a reading with some other members who eventually turned up in the cast. But I didn't read for the character I played originally. I read for Bayleaf, I read for Vaseline, and I read for Sicknote and Charisma, I think. I think I read... We were swapping parts around. That's kind of what you do. They were trying to work out who might be best for which part. And um, then there was yet another read-through with most of the people I'd been at the first read-through with, but not all. Some had gone by the wayside. But this time there were sandwiches and drinks, and so we thought we had a good chance that we were going to get the part. So uh, that's how you tell when you're an actor. And, um, yeah, uh, and the, the part they had to me was sick, though, and I was very happy to get it because we all read the script by then. We thought it was very exciting. Um, yeah, although I did subsequently find out that the casting director, Corinne Rodriguez, had spotted me in a musical that I'd been in called The Hired Man, a musical written by Melvin Bragg, which had been on at the Astoria. And um, she'd seen me in that and thought I might be good for her next project. How she got from playing a, a kind of um, Lothario <laughs> in a, The Hired Man to Sick Note in London's Burning is beyond me. But she obviously saw something that she uh, thought was usable. There you go. When we did the, the original, the, the pilot, we were all based at Dockhead Fire Station. Uh, which um, became Blackwall for the uh, for the purposes of the series, uh, which is in Salak. Uh, and it was a reasonably quiet fire station. I think it had been very busy in the old days when the docks were still a very much a going thing in, uh, in London. But these days, uh, a lot of the other fire stations called it Sleepy Hollow because it was really a bit, you know, uh, quiet, let's put it that way. And so it was a good place to use as a base. Um, and we used all the interiors of the fire stations as well, that kind of cramped thing of being in the mess and eating and uh, and the bedrooms, the dormitories as they were, and, the, and that's how we learned to slide down the pole and all that nonsense, and and to drive the fire engine because I was one of the drivers as well. Uh, but once the series started picking up, I think the first series was late 88 into 89. I'm not sure on that, but you can find out. Um and uh, it became a going concern. It was obvious London Weekend Television wanted more of it. It became more economical to build the uh, the characters' houses in a studio setting. And we were still on location, obviously, for burning things down and flooding things, whatever else we did. And you'd probably have you know two or three days, maybe more, depending on how difficult the action was. So on a two-week schedule, you'd probably have a week outside, um, you know, playing fireman, and then uh, a week inside with your domestic life. Yeah, 
So that, that's pretty much how it uh, worked out. So it was a, an even split, really. I mean, we burned down half, half of South East London. I don't think there's any of it left now, but uh, happy days. There were only ever six episodes of, uh, of, of Series 13, I think, and then they canned the series. Uh, they couldn't, once I'd left, they couldn't cope, obviously. So, um, yeah, I think they did move to another fire station, but the whole, all of the time I was there and for the main part of the, uh, of London's burning, it was Doc Head. The, the nicknames were, uh, it's like in the services, in the army and the navy, that everyone has nicknames. And the London Fire Brigade, as it was called then, the LFB, was very, run a bit like the, the services. I mean, the, the changes when we did it, First of all, in 86 to now, extraordinary, quite frankly. wouldn't recognise it. We had wooden ladders when we started with, you know. You think to yourself, wouldn't they catch fire? But, um, uh, but um, yeah, uh, so the nicknames were, were a big thing. And Jack Rosenthal, who wrote it, uh, was very good friends and used to drink with a, a guy who was an ex-fireman, I think from either Archway or Highgate, one of those stations in North London. And he would tell him stories over a couple of pints, whatever, of um, the various people, no names, no pack drill, but they was, you know, and they had nicknames like Charisma because he didn't have any. And, uh, but Signote was um, a guy who was called a rather less flattering name, I believe, at his fire station. Um, but uh, he was a guy who was always trying to um, swing the lead, get on light duties. Because if you were on light duties, you got to, strained arm or something or a bad case of toothache or whatever and you got a, a little note you you got to stay in the, what they call the box which is as you enter a, a fire station it's the office really it's the admin office where where the the fire brigade shouts come through on a teleprinter and you rip it off and you tell everybody what you've got you know fire up the road and we need both engines um and so if you're in the box you didn't have to go out and do much physical work of course, nowadays, because uh, sadly, because of um, uh, violence against uh, fire brigade people, which has happened, sort of basically hooligans and thuggery, they won't leave anybody alone in the box, so everybody goes out on the fire engine. But that's why it was a, a case of called a swinging the leg, really. It was a learning curve, really. Um, people like uh, Jimmy Hazeldean were very useful to me for... Uh, in terms of how to act for the camera rather than act for the stage. I'd mostly been a stage actor, a lot of musicals and um, straight plays. And, uh, but they were, it's all very, we've got, we've got on extremely well. I still see two or three of them on a fairly regular basis. And uh, no, we were a pr pretty happy band, really. It wasn't an immense amount of socialising outside. There wasn't much time for it. I mean, it was a very tight schedule. You know, you know, ten day, ten day turnaround in the, in those two weeks, and often working weekends, weekends because that's the only time you can get roads closed off. The police won't let you do it in uh, the middle of the week because the people are going to work. But so, if you want to burn something down, do it on a Sunday morning. You know, that's the uh, that was the sort of motto. But no, uh, we all got on famously well. Actually, I I, I'm, I struggle to think of any any rows at all when we were filming it. Yeah, I always liked the stuff. You know, Sick Note's hobby was amateur dramatics, and he and his wife belonged to an amateur dramatic society. I mean, we did a panto in one, and the student prince in another, and uh, they were they were loosely based on my on my own experiences of amateur drama in Tunbridge Wells when I was a fifteen sixteen year old and stood at school, and um, how seriously or how not so seriously some members of those societies took it, and. 
when we were when it was obvious it was going to go to a series after the pilot the producer asked me what did he think that if Sicknote carried on as a character he could do as a hobby because we would start to explore the the firemen's private lives as well as their their lives as firemen and um, and so I came up with this thing that I remembered about being in the uh, the amateur dramatics in Tunbridge Wells and how amusing some of those uh, situations could be and uh, and the scriptwriters loved it, so um, the, that's you know that's that's where my character went. And very and those and those rehearsals and things were very very enjoyable. Now he was very funny, just just camp enough to be that type of producer, and uh, and uh, and very like some of the people I worked with in, in amateur dramatics. Who uh, don't get me wrong, were lovable and very warm people, but, but kind of thought well they were. Um, a little over the top, a little larger than life, let's put it that way. Uh, but Richard Sims was a, was a terrific character playing the producer, yeah, calling everybody Darling and Poppet and Lovey and uh, in that sort of Richard Attenborough vein. No, no, very nice man. Well, what? I mean, that would be turning tales, wouldn't it? No, I, Amanda was, was fantastic. You know, the funny thing was that in the you probably know this if you've done your research, but in the original pilot, Gene Quigley was played by somebody totally differently. Uh, Joanne, Joanne Zorian, I think. Uh, I mean, my name serves me right. And uh, she wasn't available, uh, I, I believe, when they uh, wanted to cast a wife in the last episode of the first series, which was when there was a, a siege in the uh, uh, in the fire station, and she was one of the wives waiting outside for when the, the firemen got released and where they were hostages, and uh, and so. Um, they cast Amanda, who I didn't know, from a hole in the ground. Uh, but uh, we struck up a great uh, relationship. And uh, I've seen her a lot since. I mean, uh, you know, we have the occasional reunion. She doesn't change. I mean, it's frightening. I mean, she looks exactly the same as she did 20 years ago. And um, and and she was just wonderful. I mean, she was really, like, too good-looking and exotic to be Sick Note's wife. But I think that was half the, um, half the, the joke of the producers. And walking around the street uh, in in real life, and when you were recognised, I mean, the builders on the scaffolding would shout, "Oh, it's sick note, you know, your wife, she's all right, isn't she? Where do you manage to get hold of her?" And uh, I don't know, but I mean, I, I thought it was a very good counterpoint that, that sick note, being this very sort of pompous, uptight, uh, you know, balding fireman, was, was married to this very exotic uh, woman, you know. And even their bed scenes weren't sexually, they were hysterical. They were more like Morgan and Wise bed scenes. You know, she'd be reading the latest uh, romance and I'd be reading a book on you know, global warming or something. And, uh, and she was brilliant to work with. I mean, just brilliant. We got, we got on like a house on fire. God, I've forgotten all about that storyline. Yeah, that, yeah, that's true. I can't even remember how it ended up. He tried to run away and do all sorts of things. He was a bit naughty, but I think we carried on looking after him. Yeah, I've got to say, I mean, I I recall very little of that 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 storyline, uh, but but yeah, we did have it. And the re reason we had it was because um, uh, in in our characters, Jean had had a miscarriage in the series before, I think, and um, and we were so desperately looking forward to this child, sort of late in our marriage, that. Um, the producers thought it might be a good idea to try and foster a kid. Yeah, I mean, it was it was addressing social issues. I mean, London's Burning tried to do, you know, a lot of that, as a lot of TV series do. You know, Casualty does the same thing, doesn't it? And uh, 
you know, you're addressing the runaway kids and the travel kids and whatever. Yeah, and old people, you know, of which I'm now one, of course. But, uh, yeah, no, but uh, I, I mean, I'm sure it was a, a fun storyline, but I don't remember it being a, it wasn't emotional, like playing the uh, the stuff when Eugene was having the miscarriage. Because that was kind of personal, because it's happened in my life as well. So um, yeah, that, that was a very emotional to play. I, 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 we weren't terribly naughty with the pranks. I mean, apart from you know, little things we played on each other. But uh, I mean, the younger kids were like that: John Orford and Stephen North. And uh, yeah, I was a bit too. Um, I was one of the older members of the. Uh, I can't remember how old I was when I finished doing it. Forty something, forty six, forty seven, uh, which was fine. I mean, I don't know how much you know about the brigade, and as much as certainly when we were filming it. Uh, you could be 30 years in a brigade, and I, you had to retire by the time you'd done 30 years or when you reached 55, whichever came the sooner. So if you joined at 20, you could retire at 50, put it that way. Um, no, I mean, I more mostly remember the excitement. I mean, uh, the very first shot we were ever on in, in the first series, not the pilot, I remember Rupert Baker and I, who played Malcolm, uh, rushing into a, a fire in a, a block of flats over in the East End, and they said action, and then we went and put the fire out in two seconds with our, with our hoses, and then we couldn't then we couldn't see anything because the room was so full of smoke where we put it out. Literally, the cameras couldn't penetrate it, and we were hawking out. I mean, leaning out of the windows, coughing up all sorts of muck off our chests, and it was that that was part of the learning curve because. Nobody had really uh, filmed fire before, and the camera crew, whatever, it didn't realise that you couldn't actually um, convey on screen just how dense smoke was in a fire like that. So they learned after a while that you blew smoke in. If you wanted to see the firemen's faces, which they do, they probably want to see their heroes' faces when they're doing this stuff, you have to be a bit canny about it. And so a lot of the fires you see were uh, flame bars, you know, gas flame bars lit up, which reflect really well in those uh, glass helmets and, and smoke being shoved in by the props guys from behind you as you went. And so it was just enough to look impenetrable, but not enough to um, make it impossible for the viewers to see what's going on. I mean, if you show someone a room full of com completely full of smoke, there's no point, is there? Uh, and that, and I particularly remember the uh, the shot which we filmed up in RAF Swinderby in Lincoln, which was when we had a, a whole load of exploding oxygen cylinders flying around like torpedoes in the air, which was unbelievably scary. Uh, even though the, the actual ones were made of wood, they were landing everywhere, and uh, and a lot of fire. Back of my jacket caught fire in that one. Always a fireman there to put you out. They love doing that, of course. Uh, because don't forget, we had the real fire brigade on hand uh, in case there was any any, uh, there any danger or anything went wrong, and they would literally turn around to you at the end of a, 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 you know a take and say, "Oh, I think Richard needs putting out," you know, and then the full force of the hose would be on you because they just thought that was hysterically funny. But uh, that that was an that was an amazing shout, exploding caravans, and because uh, we could do what we like, it was an old deserted RAF base. And it looked like a housing estate for where all the officers' houses were. And uh, so we could just light up what we liked. So I think the, uh, the special effects boys had a ball that week. Before we ever started doing the pilot, we, uh, the assembled crew were, were um, taken to Southwark 
training school, which was, it's closed now, but that was the major training school for the London Fire Brigade, where we were put through a shortened course of everything that the, uh, the recruits were put through. This was a two-week course, and um, we were like a little band of soldiers, basically. We had to march around the parade ground like a bunch of squaddies would. Uh, we were taught uh, everything from how to use the hoses, how to roll the hoses up and put them back on the fire engine properly, uh, how to get into fire hydrants, attach hoses, uh, how to crawl through tiny little spaces, claustrophobic little spaces, how to wear the breathing apparatus, which weighed a bloody ton, um, how to uh, well, drive the fire engine, in my case. We were taken out to waste ground, out now where the O2 is. The um, What was it called when it was first built, that thing? What, um, maybe it was always called the O2, I can't remember. But you know what I mean, that dome with all the bits sticking out of it, the yeah. arena, the, the arena. And um, that was waste ground. It was being built. It was the site of the old Tate and Lyle Millennium Falls building, where the, the sugar refinery, Silvertown on the Isle of Dogs. And we spent, it was a blazing hot summer when we were filming that. And uh, we'd, we'd hang around, um, uh, probably smoking in those days. I can't remember having cups of tea. And, and you didn't know when it was going to happen. Uh, somebody would, one of the, tra the trainers would blow a whistle and you all had to dive into your respective fire engines and he would give you the directions. You'd scream off through the streets, going to this imaginary fire, told which stairs to go up, where the fire hydrant was attached, as if you were doing it for real. And uh, there's no doubt that, I mean, uh, I certainly wouldn't be brave enough to be a fireman. They are very brave people. I mean, let's face it, it's one of the few jobs you do where you could end up dead at the end of the day. Uh, so, I mean... Let's make that mistake. They're brave people. But in terms of uh, uh, handling the equipment, uh, I think we, most of us ended up being pretty good at it uh, because we were taught so well. And also, when we went back for each subsequent series, we had a short refresher course because there was always new machinery being added to the fire brigade. And they wanted London's Burning to be the showcase for the brigade. So if they got a new, I remember when we got the Hal Metro, the Hal Metro gear is for cutting people out of cars and, and, uh, and spreading uh, busted bits of ma machinery and car wrecks. And this was all very new. It's work, works by hydraulics, I believe. And uh, so if they wanted to show that off, then it would be put into an episode of London's Burning. And, of course, if you lifted up the, the side lockers of our appliances, they'd be full of all the most brand-new, wonderful gear. And if we took it to a real fire station, which we often did, down to Old Ken Road or Southwark or something, they'd look up and they'd say, we've got none of this equipment. Okay, but that's the, the point was, you know, we had brand-new fire engines, which the, uh, the TV company owned, all the state-of-the-art gear, because we had to be uh, the London Fire Brigade at its best, basically, you know. They were showing off through us. Uh, well, the second one was uh, Nick Georgiadis, who was, who was played by Andrew Casimir. Yeah, we're still very good friends with his wife and his kids. And uh, uh, we lived very close to each other in southwest London. And we were in and out of each other's houses for years. They live down on the coast now near Eastbourne. <clears throat> but, yeah, still very good friends. And, yeah, we got on. Andrew and I had a great love of, uh, of racehorses. And we even owned half a racehorse each between us at one stage. And, uh, yeah, so he was the one I got on with best out of the station officers, yeah. But only really for that reason. Jimmy Marcus, who started it, was a, was a lovely fellow. Um, but he was getting to the age when he probably would have had to retire for the force, from the force. And so um, they let him go and they 
brought in this guy because he was a bit of a heartthrob for the housewives, you know. Just like me. <laughs> I was a bit of a heartthrob for the short-sighted housewives. Yes. <laughs> suffice to say that people often have memories of how uh, tough it was on the shoots. I mean, I've got friends that were on the bill and they, they had unhappy times and same one casually. But, but it, 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 there never was a row in all the time. I mean, it may have been in the production office for all I know, but I mean, amongst the actors and the characters, it was a, it was a very happy ship. I've got, to, I've got to say, everybody got on extremely well. So it's a very happy part of my life, but it's a job. You know, I don't you know, kind of miss it. When it was over, it's over. Uh, that's the thing as an actor, you're always thinking, where's the next job? And with COVID going on at the moment, I'm not quite sure where the next job is. But, you know, if it means I'm retired now, I'm retired now. But, um, you know, I've had a, a, a blessed career, really. I've done a, an awful lot of stage. I've been touring for the last 20 years since that finished, pretty much, and slipping in the old television and the old film and the old trip abroad. So um, I've got nothing to complain about at all. Uh, but London's Burning was was the, that main part. It was a fluke. I mean, it came out of nowhere. I would have carried on being a, a hopefully reasonably successful stage actor and still doing a lot of musicals and whatever. But uh, it came along. And uh, I'm in, in, incredibly grateful to it because it's uh, it stayed in the public consciousness. It was a groundbreaking thing. You know, no one had done the fire brigade before. You had cop shows and police shows, you know, coming out of your ears and pretty much the same with the medical dramas. But uh, no one had done the fire brigade, and, uh, you know, I hope we did, did it justice. I think they ran it into the ground in the end, which was one of the reasons why I left. If you want me to get a tiny bit political, they only in as much as they uh, cut back on the shouts, and that's what people wanted to see. And I think they changed the characters maybe a little too quickly. Uh, people viewing on a Sunday night uh, you know, at 9 o'clock, um, they get you know, sucked into their characters. They, they, they like them. And it's, it was about watching those people um, not only be amusing and interesting in their, in their private lives, but also seeing them when the chips were down, being a hero when they're going into a burning fire. And I, that was something I was always very conscious of, playing Sick Note, who was not a funny man, but funny things happened to him. So you'd say he was a, a light character. But I always insisted that at least twice a series, you saw him up the sharp end, you know, doing some really serious work. Otherwise, you couldn't ever believe he would have become a fireman. And I think that was the same for all of us, really. Anyway, it's been lovely talking to you, Andrew. And um, I hope your podcast is a success. And um, all good wishes for the future. (laughs) 